0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, we thank you that you have spoken to us and we thank you that we can understand it, that it's in our own language. It is not too difficult for us to understand it, Lord, if we have the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that you may give us much of your Holy Spirit's help this morning and that he may give us great insight into what you have said and so that we are able to live according to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by wishing you all a happy new financial year. This is the first Sunday in the new financial year, and I always looked forward to the end of the financial year and the beginning of the new one because it's tax time. And I love that. I love it, particularly since we've allowed to uh, are allowed to uh, submit our taxes online now. And so you've got this little program that you can punch in all your numbers and see how much you're going to get back or how much you owe uh, the tax department. And it also means that I can start purging from my archives lots of receipts and other bits of paper uh, from I think you go back six years now. And so you can actually shred a lot of stuff. And I love to shred stuff. I love to get rid of stuff that's uh, been archived in, the, in my house. Uh, and I love to get rid of things in other ways as well. Whenever you move, that's also a good time to get rid of stuff as well. I don't like the actual process of moving so much, but I love being confronted by what I own and realising that, yes, I don't need that and I don't need this, and so I can get rid of it. And it feels like it's a cleansing process that goes on in my house when I move. Peter has been telling us a number of things as we've been looking at his book for the last number of weeks, and last week we saw that he told us to love the family of God, and he follows this up with, in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2, by starting out telling us to do something similar to what I like to do at tax time and when I move, to get rid of stuff. He tells us to get rid of something in verses uh, in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And so I encourage you, if you've got a Black Church Pew Bible, to open it up to page uh, 1201, so 1,201. And we'll be looking at verses 1 to 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And the first thing he tells us is to get rid of our sin. We've got two commands from Peter in this passage, and the first one is rid yourselves of sin. What types of sin does he tell us to get rid of? Well, he gives us five different types of sin here in verse 1 that we're supposed to rid ourselves of. In the word rid there, it's equivalent of throwing off or getting rid of old clothes. And that's what he's trying to do. He's saying take off these sins, get rid of them as you would an old piece of clothing that is no longer any good to you. And so he says if you're part of the family of God, and you're loving the people around you, then you've got to start discarding things from your life. And so he gives us a list. Firstly, what does he tell us to rid ourselves of? All malice. What is malice? Well, malice is being malicious, seeking other people's harm, actively sitting down and plotting against other people. Peter says, if you're going to be loving, you need to rid yourself of malice. What else are we supposed to get rid of? All malice and all deceit. What does it mean to be deceiving? Well, the word in the Greek here, it can also be used to catch people with bait, uh, or to even fishermen, to catch something with bait. And that's what deceit is. It's trying to trick someone, to be sly and crafty towards someone, so that you catch them and can use them for your own uh, evil purposes. And that's what we're supposed to get rid of, is deceit. And the most common way that we are deceitful towards others is by lying. We lie to others to get them to do what we want them to do. And Peter says, if you're going to love people, if you're going to love particularly the family of God, as we saw last week, then there's no place for deceit. There's no place for lying to others to get them and manipulate them to do what you want them to do. Get rid of it, like an old clo- uh, old piece of clothing. What else? Number three, the third sin there, hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? Well, it's uh, being two-faced, uh, where you give sort of an outward show of one thing while inwardly you're doing something else or actively doing something else. And so we often do this. We try to make ourselves look better, by showing that we're doing the right thing when all along we're doing the wrong thing. That's what hypocrisy is. And Peter says there's no place for that if you are a Christian. Number four, what else are we meant to get rid of? Envy. What is envy? Well, it's not being happy and thankful when somebody else prospers. You, may, you have many people in your life and many good things happen to the people around you. It can be an increase in worldly gain. They can get blessed with finances. They can get blessed with, uh, with people, relationships. They've got their family around them. Uh, they can be blessed with spiritual gifts from God. Uh, they can be blessed with great intellect. And instead of being thankful and happy for that person, you can sin by being envious of them and wishing that that was you and not them, not being happy for those others around you when they prosper is what envy is. And what's the last thing that we're supposed to rid ourselves of? Slander. What's slander? Well, it's speaking badly about other people. It's speech that's intended to harm others, either through their reputation and status, and it can just be as simple as gossip, which goes on all the time. It starts in school... When you're very young, and it continues into adulthood, and it continues all through your life. It's very easy to gossip about other people. And these days it's uh, not just so easy to gossip face-to-face with people, but then you can even gossip online. Facebook, I wonder how much of it, what percentage of it is gossip about other people and saying malicious things to hurt other people. And there's been incidents uh, around the world where uh, schoolchildren have said horrible things on Facebook about other children, and children have ended up committing suicide through slander, through this horrible sin of slander. And Peter says, if you're a Christian, you're meant to get rid of slander. And it's interesting here, he says, for a couple of these sins that we're meant to get rid of all types of that sin. Because some of these sins, there's many different sections, different factions of these sins. And so he says, get, uh, "...therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind." You know when you get rid of some clothes out of your wardrobe, you're moving and you think, oh, yes, I don't wear that anymore and it's not functional. But there's some clothes that are old, worn out, and you probably won't wear them ever again, but there's that sentimental attachment to them. I've had T-shirts in the past that have had great big gaping holes in them, and my mother has wanted to throw them out. And I've said, no, I love that shirt too much and I'd wear it to bed occasionally to show that it's still got some sort of functionality to it. And we're tempted with some sins to get rid of parts, different types of slander. Yes, yes, I won't won't be slanderous to people at work where it might damage my reputation at work, but when it comes to my family, I'm going to say bad things about my sister. Or when it comes to certain friends, I'm going to slander them, but I won't slander my best friends. We don't want to give up those sins that we particularly cherish. Like we don't want to give up some pieces of clothing that we particularly cherish. But Peter says that's not on. You don't give up some deceit. You don't give up some malice. You don't give up some slander. You give up all slander, all malice, all deceit. Rid yourselves of the lot in every component of that type of sin. So these are the five sins that we're meant to get rid of. Peter's given us two commands in this text. One is get rid of these sins. What's the other thing that we're told to do? What are we supposed to do instead of these sins? Well, it's given to us in verse 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. So that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Instead of sin, you're meant to crave milk. Now, what sort of milk? Sounds good if you particularly like drinking milk. Is this chocolate, strawberry, maybe banana milk? I like milkshakes. Here's a proof text for it that I'm meant to drink milk. Uh, so, And it doesn't say there that it has to be low fat so I can tell my wife that I can have full cream milk here. Is that what it's saying? Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk. That word spiritual there uh, causes some problems for people with uh, translating it. It only shows up twice in the New Testament, which always makes it a bit difficult to, to translate into English. But I think the spiritual translation there, the word spiritual, uh, gives the idea of what he's meaning there. That it's not about feeding your stomach milk. It's about feeding your mind milk. It's giving milk to the mind, something that's going to be helpful for your mind. Just as we feed ourselves with milk for our stomachs, we can also feed our minds with a spiritual milk. Now, what is this spiritual milk that Peter wants us to crave? Well, it's not indicated particularly clearly in the text there, but I think it is the Word of God. And I think this is indicated partly because of the context of the few verses that came before those ones that we're looking at today, it speaks a lot about the Word of God. It says in verse 23, if you go back a little to number 23 in chapter 1, it says, For you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And then really indicating that you know, the milk is the word, it finishes verse 25 with, And this is the word that was preached to you. You've actually got this milk. It's, it's been preached to you and so i think that indicates that what the pure spiritual milk is is the word of god and the other indication is by the word pure there he's wanting us to have pure milk now in the time of uh, of peter and even today apparently in some places uh the milk is not always as pure as it could be people water milk down and then sell it off as though it's full uh at full purity we're wanting milk here that's pure And the word of God is pure. It's unadulterated. It's not impure. It hasn't been watered down. It is full strength. It is full cream milk. It's not got some of the cream taken out of it and it's light milk, which tastes terrible. No, it is full cream. The word of God hasn't had anything removed. It is there in all its pure form. So what is Peter telling us to do? He's telling us to drink up the Word of God. For your mind, what are you to feed it? You're meant to feed it the Word of God. So you're meant to read it. You're meant to listen to it being read to you. You're meant to uh, listen to it being explained and preached to you. You're meant to memorise the Word of God, let it sink into your head so that if you don't have your Bible with you, You've still got the Word of God there with you. You can still feed on it, even though you don't have the text in front of you. You can sing the Bible. That's what we try to do with our songs. We look and check that they're going to be in line with what the Bible says. And some of them are almost word for word, straight out of the text. We try and pray the Bible as well here at church. And you should in your own life as well. How do you know what to pray? Well, look to the Word. What does Jesus teach you about prayer? The Lord's Prayer. What does Paul say that he prays for? We should be praying the Bible. So we've been told to do two things. Get rid of five particular sins and crave the word of God. The question is, why? Why should we do that? I mean, Peter said it, so yes, and that means God said that we should do it, and so we should probably be fairly submissive to that. But the Bible is very good at explaining why we should do particular things, and we're given two reasons in the text as to why we should get rid of those sins and crave the Word of God instead. And the first reason is so that you may grow up. Verse two like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Peter here is not just, he's not speaking to people who aren't Christians. He's speaking to Christians. And he's saying that you have salvation, but you can grow into that salvation. You don't read the Bible and rid yourselves of sin to get salvation. Often that's the misunderstanding that people have. If I stop deceit, if I stop being malicious, if I stop slandering, if I stop being hypocritical, if I stop being envious, I will get salvation. If I'm a good person, I will go to heaven. But that's not what's being said here. It's saying stop doing those things Because you want to grow up in your salvation. You are already a child of God. Doing these things doesn't make you a child of God. You are already. You just need to grow up a little. Which is what I say to my son Joshua on occasions. When he's standing there just bawling about nothing, you say, grow up. He may be a little bit young to be saying that to him. (laughs) But that's what we're meant to do as children. We're not meant to stay as children. We're meant to grow up. And it's the same with Christians. We still have a long way to go. We're meant to grow up in our salvation. The salvation uh, that we have, it's often termed like a pilgrimage or a walk or a race. And that's what we're doing. We're gradually moving forward. We're not staying stuck in one place. And every Christian in this room needs to grow. There is no one here who can say, I'm done I've stopped growing up in my salvation. It's all downhill from here. I'm a perfect person. No, we all need to hear these words of Peter. We all still have a bit of deceit hanging around, that temptation at least to even deceive others, to be malicious, to be envious, to be slanderous towards people. We all need to grow up. And this is where the milk illustration, the milk metaphor here is so good. Because just as a newborn baby hurts... When it hasn't got milk, it feels the pinch of hunger. That's what we're meant to be like as Christians. We're meant to be feeling the pinch, the pain, when we've been away from the Word of God. Just as when the baby has lacked milk for a time, it really starts to hurt. It should be the same with a Christian. A Christian, when they're away from the Word of God for an extended period, it should start to hurt. They feel that craving, they feel that hunger, and they need to get back to the Word. And the other way that we see it's a good illustration is that as a newborn baby, has hunger pulling it away from things, and even as us as adults know that, hunger pulls us away from our jobs, it pulls us away from our distractions, even from the television set, you have to get up and go to the fridge eventually. Hunger pulls us away from things, and it's the same with the Christian, the word of God should pull us away from things. People say, oh, I haven't got time to read the Bible. I've got such a busy life. I've got too much uh, on at work. And my, I've got a huge family. I, I, can't, I, I just don't have the time. I've got all these other distractions. I've got to do this and this and this. And I just don't have time to read the Bible. But they do have time to eat. They will find time to stop working, to eat. And it should be the same with a Christian we have to eat. We have to have the milk of God. It should pull us away from whatever distractions we have in our life. And we've just got to say, I've just got to read the Bible. it, It doesn't matter how many hours I'm doing at work, how much time my family is taking from me, I've just got to get back to the Bible. Like a baby just gets back to its bottle. It has to have it eventually. And the other way that we see a, a, and the milk is a good illustration with the baby there, it's the way that it guzzles it in. If you've ever watched a baby drink milk, it just guzzles and guzzles like its life depends upon it. And it should be the way with Christians as well. We just guzzle in the word of God. We can't get enough of it. We want to know what it says in the Old Testament, what it says in the New Testament. What's this bit about 666 in Revelation? What's this bit I can't understand in Zechariah? I just I, And all this stuff with the priests in, in Leviticus, like what, what's going on there? You guzzle it in. You want to find out more and more, just like the baby's guzzling away. It's life depends upon that bottle. And it should be with us as Christians as well. Our lives depend upon it. We're growing up in our salvation. We want the word of God because it will help us grow. So what about those five sins? Why shouldn't you do them and drink the word of God? Well, because those sins stunt your growth. We're told to soak in the Bible so that we'll grow up. And if we keep on going with those sins, they will stunt your growth. You can't do those five sins at the same time as drink the word of God in. It's kind of like um, if I feed my son Joshua paper whenever he's hungry, it will stunt his growth. It's not that he won't eat the paper. It's amazing what he will eat. Uh, We gave him a book. Uh, a kid's book to play with and it's one of these solid cardboard books that's thick as it's like five pages but solid thickness he chewed off an entire corner it's thick uh, it's pure cardboard he ate it he ate the book he will eat paper if i give it to him he loves paper but it stunts his growth Just like if you were to do these five sins, you're distracted by them. You haven't got time to read the Bible. And when you do, it doesn't really help because you've got so much paper in your stomach. And so you're going to have some sort of disagreement there. You need to get rid of those sins and embrace the word of God. You can't feed on both. So if you want to grow up as a Christian, you need to read the Bible and stop sinning. What's the other reason that's given to us in the text? There's two reasons given to us. Why else should we read the Bible? Crave the milk. The second reason is because you have tasted it. Verse 2, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And then verse 3, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Drink milk, not just to grow up, but because you have tasted that the Bible is good. That the milk is good. A newborn baby knows it's onto a good thing when it sees its bottle. Even though I've sort of grown up a bit baby like my son, he knows what the bottle is. He's tasted it before, he knows that it tastes good, he knows that it satisfies his cravings, and so he loves his bottle. Joshua can refuse all kinds of other solids that we give him pumpkin, different vegetables, he'll go for fruit a little bit more readily, but he doesn't refuse the bottle. He loves the bottle. He loves the side of milk. I love to tease him by showing him a three-liter milk bottle. I shake it up and down in front of his face, and it's like, that's heaven for him. He's used to his little 200-mil bottle. And so to see three liters being shaken there, it's like, whoa, look at all that milk. He knows he's onto a good thing. He's tasted it before. And so just as you don't have to coax a newborn or a, even a, a small baby into drinking milk, You shouldn't have to coax a Christian into reading and studying the Bible. They've tasted that it's good. And so they know it's good. And so they keep coming back to it. How have you tasted that God is good in the Bible? Well, by the gospel. You saw there that Jesus died for you so that you would not have to pay for your sins with punishment in eternity in hell Instead, you are saved and all that is for you is eternity in heaven. By repenting and believing in Jesus Christ, you have it all. You have that wonderful goodness that is coming to you. And in the Bible, you have all the good answers there. You've tasted how it answers all your difficult questions that you have to ask. And in there you've learnt the right way to live and how good that is. That Things like deceit and malice and hypocrisy and slander and envy, they're not good. The way to live, if you live by God's law, tastes nice. You've known what it means to be kind and the good feeling that comes with that instead of being malicious. You know what it means to be honest. When you tell the truth, there's that good feeling and it tastes nice instead of being deceitful. And to be happy for others instead of envious. Being envy, envious of people, it, it smoulders inside you. Whereas when you're happy for someone, genuinely happy, it feels good. You taste that the word is good. You taste that the Lord and his commands are good. And when you speak well of others and praise them instead of slandering them and gossiping about them, it feels good. Now the world will tell you that these kinds of sins are sweet but you know, as Christians, that they aren't. That the good taste is to live the way that God instructs you to live in his word. So if you're not reading the Bible, not craving the pure milk of God, then something's wrong. If I hold the bottle up to Joshua and he doesn't want it, particularly if he's had a bit of a taste of it, I know something's particularly wrong. Either he's unwell Or the next likely problem is that his father's heated the bottle up too much and it's actually painful for him to drink it, which has happened on occasions. There's something wrong if he tastes the bottle and then rejects it. And it should be the case with Christians. We shouldn't just taste the Bible and then go away and not read it again. We should be getting back into it again and again. And if you as a Christian refuse the Bible and find it less enjoyable to read, than many of the other things in your life, then there's something wrong. If you find it more enjoyable to read the paper, to watch television, to read magazines, to read novels, than it is to read the Bible, something's wrong. What could be wrong? Well, maybe you've never tasted how good the Bible is. You've never tasted salvation. You've never become a Christian. You've never realised what a wonderful thing it is to be a Christian, to have all your sins paid for in Jesus Christ so that nothing is required of you, that there is nothing that you need to do to get into heaven. It's all done for you. If you've tasted that, you're going to keep going back. And if you haven't, well, then it's not surprising that you're not going back. Or maybe you've never tasted how good the Bible is in telling you the right way to live. You haven't been living correctly, you've been hanging on to these five types of sin and you've never tasted what it means to be not slanderous, not envious, not malicious, not deceitful. Embrace the Bible. If you as a Christian want to grow up in your salvation and you all should, read the pure word of God and keep remembering what it tasted like when you last read it, the goodness that you found there, and let that spur you on to read it more and more. And if you want to be able to have a greater craving for the Word, remember to get rid of those sins. Rid yourself of sins. Stop feeding on cardboard and go for the pure milk of God. Stop sinning so that you can enjoy the Word of God when you read it. And remember the goodness that you found there previously. That will spur you on to read the Bible. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today, I want to encourage you to taste the Bible and see the goodness that is there. Taste God as he's revealed to us in scripture. Find out about Jesus and taste him. Embrace him. Repent of your sins and believe in him. So that instead of being punished for eternity in hell, you go into paradise to be with him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And then keep going back to the Bible. Once you've discovered the gospel and understood it, keep going back there. Not because you want to find out how to live so that you can get into heaven. You already are if you've embraced Jesus. But so that you can live According to his laws, because you have found that they are so wonderful and so good. And you have found so much goodness there. If that is you, embrace Jesus today. Do it right now. All you have to do is say sorry to God. And say, I want Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sins. The substitute. Do it now. Don't delay. Let us speak with our God now. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that you have revealed in your word how we are to live as your people. That we are to get rid of sin from our life, from all sins, and to crave like newborn babies the pure milk of God. Lord, we thank you that you give us milk, that you do sustain us and feed us by your word. May we as Christians love to feed upon your word just like a baby loves to have its bottle. And Lord, we pray that if anyone here this morning has not tasted the goodness of the Lord in the word, we pray that they may read the Bible and that you may help them to understand that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.